So I took an off-the-shelf camera and shot a video of the bottle keeper sort of in action, and our the company changed literally overnight. Do you want to impact the world and still turn a profit? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to Growth Everywhere. This is the show where you'll find real conversations with real entrepreneurs. They'll share everything from their biggest struggle to the exact strategies they use on a daily basis. So if you're ready for a value-packed interview, listen on. Here's your host, Eric Sue. Before we jump into today's interview, if you guys could leave a review and a rating and also subscribe as well, that would be a huge help to the podcast. So if you actually enjoy the content and you'd like to hear more of it, please support us by leaving us a review and subscribe to the podcast as well. Thanks so much. Okay, everyone. Today, we have Adam Kellanan, who's the founder of Bottle Keeper, which is a insulated stainless steel container that keeps your beer colder, protected from gravity, and sexier than ever. Adam is also a founding partner at Beachwood Ventures, a Los Angeles-based early-stage and non-traditional VC firm at the intersection of technology and entertainment. Adam, how's it going? I'm doing good, Eric. How are you? I am doing well, man. So first of all, thanks for being here. Why don't you tell us about what you do, I guess, who you are and what you do? I think with most entrepreneurs, you have a tendency to get your hands into too many things at, at one time. And, and everything that you just, just explained is kind of a good example of that. Uh, I spend most of my time, the vast majority of my time now, uh, building Bottle Keeper, which is sort of side project gone mad, um, where Three years ago, it was the opposite. I was spending a lot more time doing investing stuff and that uh, priorities change, I guess. So I, I spend most of the time doing that and traveling with my wife and yeah, living life. Awesome. Great. So tell us, I mean, you know, we, we met at a dinner and you had, the, you had this crazy story. So I, I guess, you know, maybe you can spend, you know, two, three minutes or so just talking about your story and, and how you got to where you are. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I historically was in in the medical space. I went into a startup right out of college and now I got a crazy science degree because I wanted to be a doctor my whole life and decided, you know, coming out of school at 35 with half a million dollars in debt didn't sound that fun when you're 21 years old anymore. So went into a device startup, wasn't a founder, but um, was the first salesperson. So I got to build the company sort of down and expand it and do a bunch of stuff and learned over the period of better part of a decade, sort of the difficulties and the challenges in building companies that are very logistically heavy. Um, and, you know, we had 70 or 80 employees in, in two states and cubicles and del- delivery vehicles and warehouses and equipment and all this stuff. And it was really good experience. I learned a lot about leadership and building teams and management and all that fun, wonderful stuff. But it was really challenging and you couldn't, you couldn't get away from it, so to speak. Like if I wanted to go and take a month and travel the world, things would fail. And part of that is maybe how it was set up, but part of it was just what goes with a business that's built like that. So uh, we had started another company in there that I sold out of in 2013. So when I left that, uh, and that was technology-based, when I left that and started Bottle Keeper with my cousin, um, who, this is actually the concept, the product concept was his idea. And then the timing was unique because I was now looking for something fun to do. Um, when we started that, we sort of vowed to never do that, um, build a big, wide company again. And so I've kind of taken it in the polar opposite direction, which certainly has its its pitfalls. But um, as it stands now, we're we're three and a half years into the business, uh, doing ten or I'm sorry, eight figures in revenue, and we have zero employees. So it's super automated. Um, it's really, 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 really efficient. 
and it gives us the capacity to grow the company with our own money. We didn't have to raise money uh, and have never you know, raised any debt or anything. So it, it allows us a lot of freedom. It basically is a company that can be run from anywhere in the world that we have an internet connection. Got it. Okay. Awesome. And, and you know, this, this whole remote concept, I mean, the, the whole Jason Fried, uh, th- that book remote, I mean, I think it's becoming more and more popular. So I'm, I'm curious to know, you know, what kind of systems or processes do you have in place to make the machine function like it's functioning right now? Because eight figures is incredible. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot. And it's, you know, it's the kind of thing, you know, when we were doing $2,000 a day, you didn't need to have big, robust systems in place and, you know, support functions with hundreds of pre-written macros that other people can execute in other parts of the world. And so it's, it's you know, like anything, it starts really, really small and simple. At the beginning of the company, that started on, you know, started with a website. It started with a WordPress website um, and a theme with a uh, basically a digital management system, drag and drop editor, because I'm not historically a trained programmer and we weren't going to go spend the money to have somebody custom build websites. So, you, you know, you kind of hack it together and, and just figure it out as you go. Even looking prior to that, you know, when you have an idea and you go and you tell your friends and your family, they all think the idea is great. And the reality is the idea might be great and it might be awful, but you're getting bad advice because you're dealing with people that are, um, they can't be honest with you, even if they're trying to be honest with you because there's an emotional connection. So what we wanted to do when we started the company was make sure that people would actually buy this product, put in their credit card information without being, you know, my mom and purchase the product before we went and spent a bunch of time and money building it. So we did that and leveraged crowdfunding, which is an unbelievably valuable tool, not just for raising money if you need to do that, but for proving concepts. That is like, that is, in in my opinion, one of the best ways you can go and prove a concept is put it out in front of people and see who actually clicks buy, right? How much did uh, you guys raise? Uh, we raised about 15 grand. Okay. I think just under that. I mean, but, you know, again, we were trying to raise five. And it was really just to prove, you know, I, I admittedly at the beginning of the company, my, my cousin and partner had a lot more faith in the product than I did because I, I thought it was a great product and I loved it and used it myself, but I wasn't convinced early on that someone would pay 20 or $25 for it. And if, if someone would only pay $10 for it, it's not a functional business model. So, you know, or even if somebody would only pay 15 for it, it's, it's much less of a functional business model. So the crowdfunding um, was a huge eye opener for me that we, you know, we had something that was more than just, you know, a novelty item that you'd see on the shelf at Spencer's. Got it. And how long did it take you guys from inception to get to the eight figure mark? Uh, We shipped our first product in January of 2014. That first year, we did six figures. Uh, In 2015, we did seven. And this year, we're into eight. My God. And then I know we were talking at dinner about kind of what was, you know, what was uh, one of the the levers that helped you get there. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you look historically back at the company, or the concept and crowdfunding was was step one. That was we actually have something. We sold about a thousand units into a bunch, you know, five or six uh, six countries. That paid for the product, although it wasn't overly expensive to start. I mean, the molds and all that stuff from the manufacturers. So, looking at 2014, once we got past that, you know, it, it it the reality quickly became that one. I had no idea what I was doing, and two. You know, selling a thousand units is a lot, and it sounds great starting up, but it's not a lot. I mean, you're not building a business off of you know the basically three or four hundred customers. So we kind of fumbled around for maybe seven or eight months, and 
you know, played with Facebook advertising and AdWords and Twitter advertising and, you know, all the normal things that people go and try to do and figure out. Um, and what, what I figured out pretty quickly is with this product, it's, it's a very visual, you have to see it in action. It's a visual product. And I had basically, you know, been using still images because at the time that's all you could do with Facebook. And because the product looks just like a water bottle, it's like our, our you know, something we've been seeing for 10 or 20 years for forever. When you see the product, even if you can see the beer bottle sticking out of the top of it and you're holding it in your hand, most people don't go like, oh, that's really cool. That's a beer bottle and clearly it unscrews on the bottom here. It looks like a water bottle. So our brain goes, oh, that's a water bottle. And they go, well, what the hell is so special about this? So in like August of 2014-ish, August or September, Facebook launched their video platform. So I took an off-the-shelf camera um, and shot a video of the bottle keeper sort of in action and our the company changed literally overnight. It went from, you know, two or three grand a month in sales to 10 in September to, you know, 25 in October to 40 in November and 60 in the first two weeks of December, where we promptly ran out of product, you know, like December, December 5th, which is, which is amazing. So yeah. it sounds like, I mean, after that, after that video, you kind of just, you know, rode the wave or did you start to upgrade the videos? Uh, did you like, you know, hire a professional? Yeah, this is actually the timeliness of this is good. No, I rode that wave for almost two years. I literally shot, I, I, I advertised and I was managing all of our, I mean, for a long time, I was managing all of everything, but you know, I felt I stopped messing around with AdWords and Twitter and all those things that were hugely ineffective uh, for us, um, and focused solely on Facebook because it—I mean, it literally was 99% of our revenue. Uh, that first video that I shot, honestly, we still use. We have other things that are added into it now, but uh, that video drove millions of dollars in revenue over the course of two years. Wow. You no, know, that's funny. I mean, I always, um, I, I talk to people about, you know, yeah, you know, with YouTube ads, you can, you know, if you have a low budget, 500 to the 1500 bucks, you could go here, 10,000, you could go here. But you're saying basically you can just take out your iPhone. You don't have to have any skills at all. And then boom, you change your business overnight just by making one small tweak. Oh man. Yeah. I mean, and so to be clear, I didn't, I didn't shoot it with an iPhone, although honestly, I absolutely could have, particularly with, with the iPhones that are out today, they're probably better quality than the you know, DSLR camera I was using four years ago, three years ago to shoot that. But you're absolutely right. I mean, I was screwing around, just wanted to show it in action. I used iMovie on my Mac, you know, as a total amateur, I'd never even used it before and just, you know, added some text to it. And that, that video absolutely changed, changed the company. Love it. Okay. Um, I was reading, I was doing a little research before this, but, uh, but you talked a little bit about the referral program and apparently that worked well for you. So can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. The, you know, there are, are lots of companies in the e-commerce space that that do some sort of referral rewards pro- program where you can, you know, earn points for doing things, sharing on Facebook or tweeting about it or doing whatever, or, or earn points just for purchases. And then that's sort of one set of the rewards process. And then the other is is straight referring your friends. One of the things that that we did and figured out early on is that you have to be kind of ridiculous about your referral program, if you want it to be successful, you have to give your consumers a reason to go, you know, you're basically to go above and beyond them just sort of casually sharing it to aggressively sharing it because they want to get something out of it. And for us, that was the word free. I mean, Bottle Keeper retails on our site for $22, the main 12 ounce standard size. So we, you know, at first it was refer a friend, get $5 off, which didn't really work. 
And then it was refer a friend, get $10 off, which didn't really work. And then it was refer a friend, get $22 off. And that didn't even work. Refer a friend, get a free bottle keeper went crazy. And is still to this day, a huge, huge part of our, our sales and return purchases. There you go. I mean, again, it's, it's all about one small tweak. I can, it can change everything. And I think a lot of people, they tend to just give up too quickly. It's like, yeah, you know, I tried, I tried Facebook, I tried AdWords, whatever, but they, you know, they give up after a month. Oh, I tried the content marketing thing after a month and I gave up, but really, I mean, you got to just keep sticking with it and, and just making tweaks, right? That's kind of what I'm hearing. hundred percent. I mean, the thing, the, all these things are, are all being tweaked constantly and, and A-B testing is a huge part of that. So we talked about uh, Facebook video working really well. We talked about the referral program. I mean, what's one other thing that's working well for you in terms of customer acquisition today? Uh, you know, the, some of the other platforms that were on Pinterest works really well for us. Surprisingly, um, for us, our highest converting audience is not 22-year-old college males. As you know, that's sort of the gut response anytime somebody sees it. It's like, oh my gosh, you should sell these at fraternities. That would be amazing. And the reality is, what college kids do you know? Number one, are drinking beer bottles, and number two, we're spending twenty-two dollars, you know, to keep a, to keep a beer cold, and it's not many of them. So our highest converting audience is actually women between the ages of thirty-five and sixty. So Pinterest, being a very female dominant platform, works fantastically well for us. Makes sense, and, and I, I think we talked about the reason a little bit. I thought, I thought it was funny. What is what is the reason? Do you think, or yeah, why is it thirty five to sixty females? Well, the age is because of income, is my belief. I mean, that's a huge assumption, but that's what I, I believe it is. It, you know, again, spending twenty two dollars, you know, plus shipping or or with accessories or whatnot, on keeping a beer cold is is certainly an expendable income type purchase, right? Um, so, so that's the age part of it. The, the female part of it is kind of funny. One of them, one of the main reasons I think is because women just naturally, um, have more of a tendency to buy things online and we're basically exclusive to direct consumer. So that's one and two, it's a good gift item. So that what happens is they'll come in and buy one for themselves and one for their husband or one for themselves and one for their, you know, boyfriend or son or whatever. So it, it actually takes our, our average, you know, our average purchase to to a little more than two units per order. But love it. Okay. And one other aspect I think is important to talk about because there's a couple of e-commerce people that that listen to this. I mean, when you have the the issue of people that see something that's working and they start ripping off of you, I mean, what can you do? What how do you deal with that? Oh man. Yeah, you you what you tend to happen is you stop sleeping. It's hard to say for it's, I guess it's hard for me to explain to you how to deal with it because I, I quite frankly struggle to deal with it. Um, both not legally, but emotionally. I mean, you, you know, look, you create something that didn't previously exist and you put everything you have into it. Um, you know, and you, you bleed and you, you sweat and you have all the tears and all the, the difficulties it is to have some amount of success. And then you get there and, you know, dozens of other people just literally copy it and rip it off. Legally speaking, it depends what you have in intellectual property. We have five patents pending, one of which is very, very, very close to being finished. Uh, the reality of that is um, a lot of it depends on what you have the capacity to spend to defend and protect yourself. We will be exceptionally aggressive in defending and protecting what we've built. The second one of those five utility or uh, one of those five patents comes to fruition. The hard part is until you have that, there's not a lot you can do. I mean, let me rephrase that. There's nothing you can do. You can you can protect your trademarks. I mean, we're sending out cease and desists on a weekly basis now, where people are, you know, calling the fake knockoff product Bottle Keeper, which is a trademark name. We have that registered as a trademark, so you can't do that. So we can stop those types of things. But as far as just straight knocking it off, until you have patents in place, 
you know, you're, there's not a lot you can do. Okay. And the patent that's getting, uh, that's really close to getting done. How long has that been out for? Uh, almost three years. Wow. Okay. So three years, guys, that's how long it takes, but get that file, you know, as soon as you start. Yeah. So, so there's an important distinction though, you know, for a product like this, there are two different ways you can patent utility and, and design utility patents take a really long, they can take a really long time. Design patents can happen very quickly. Utility patents, when you go and fight about them, take a really long time and they're really, really, really expensive. Design patents, they go through the system relatively quickly and are a lot less expensive and the damages are actually tend to be higher. So now, disclaimer, I'm not an attorney, so you know, talk to your intellectual property attorney, but you, there's a lot of strategy that's, that's really important in how you execute patents. Super helpful. Sounds like a pain in the ass. It totally is, but it's part of, it's part of the deal. Cool. So, I mean, you're, you're working at Bottle Keeper right now. What percent of the time do you spend on Beachwood Ventures? Uh, 5%. It's, it's, yeah, I'm, I passively look at deals as they come in through people that I you know, trust and have a lot of respect for that have operated in the, the venture investment space. But I, you know, my time, because of how big and fast this has grown so quickly, I don't, uh, I don't have a lot of extra time to sort of spend on, on that. Okay. I think this is helpful because there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there that I talk to. I mean, you know, they, they want to end up starting their own fund or whatever it is exactly. So, you know, at what point did you decide, uh, you know, it makes sense to do something like Beachwood Ventures and like, what's the thesis behind it? And I just, I guess, you know, the story behind it. Yeah. I mean, the, the concept is that my, my partner is a manager and executive at Brillstein Entertainment Partners, which is a big or a very successful talent management um, production company that, you know, they manage like the top 200 or so people in film and TV from like Brad Pitt sort of down the list and produced a bunch of stuff going back to like the original SNLs and ALF, all these like great old shows and current stuff that have won some Academy Awards. Um, so the concept is that they have a ton of entrepreneurs and really good concepts that come through that door because they are looking for access to influencers, high level influencers. but the but you know Brillstein as an entity doesn't have the capacity to really deal with that and they don't want to set up their own fund because it becomes a conflict of interest um because for example they have a list celebrity who has a cousin that started an idea a list celebrity then forces the company to look at their cousin's idea as a client and it does that make sense it just creates this huge conflict so so the idea was to take and and totally create a separate entity that has all those resources to be able to connecting with the influencers in the world of entertainment um, in production houses and studios and all that sort of stuff, but doing it, you know, as a totally separate entity. So it doesn't have that sort of conflict. Got it. Okay. Makes sense. Cool. So, I mean, I guess before bottle keeper, how much time were you spending on it? Well, they happened at almost the same time. Um, I mean, within a couple of months of each other. So I was spending a huge amount of time on that as we were out, you know, working to to fundraise and do all those things that go with building a fund, um, and then as Bottle Keeper started to happen and pick up steam, it, it became you know once honestly once the Facebook stuff happened in the the summer or fall of 2014, it was a very quick whoa. There's this is this is actually happening. This there's something here that's way bigger than what we thought it was ever going to be. Got to focus on that because this is you know you look at at funds and investing. It's a long term thing. There's a lot of upfront time investment uh, outside of financial investment. This was, you buy it for X number of dollars, you sell it for Y number of dollars, and whatever is in between that is what you make. Very simple. Right. right? Once so, you get the machine running, it's, it's going to just keep growing. Totally. Totally. So it just made more sense. Cool. All right. 
I'm going to switch gears to a little more personal questions here, and I'll start with a stronger one. I guess, what's one big thing, positive or negative, that has impacted your life dramatically? Uh, travel. Absolutely. Travel. So my, you know, in, like I said, in, in medical, I didn't have the capacity or, you know, the, the medical business, I didn't have the capacity to leave for more than a week ever. And that's normal. I mean, that's typical, right? Most people don't have the capacity to go and, and travel or go on a vacation or do something for more than a week. That's probably pretty average. Um, leaving that and creating a situation where, you know, we have an entity that can be run from anywhere there's internet, that sort of opens up most of the world, right? I mean, setting aside like maybe Antarctica and certain parts of Africa, like you can have internet in most places now. So my wife, who's also been a hugely important part of all of this, has forced me to travel. And that is, it's really helpful in understanding, you know, what else is going on outside of your own personal bubble and resetting of expectations and, you know, how fortunate we are to live where we live and and have access to the things that we have access to that, that the tremendous majority of people throughout the world don't have. Love it. And for the entrepreneurs that can travel, if they could go anywhere, if you could just recommend one spot, where would it be? Africa. Okay. Where in Africa? Uh, I can only tell you where I have been, and that was South Africa. Okay. Uh, and, and there's a couple of reasons for that. Yes, the animals are beautiful, and you should go on a safari and all those things. That's wonderful. You should do that. But the, you know, go and spend a day or two in a Zulu village and then come back to the U.S. and complain about something that you, <laughs> you know, that the guy in front of you is driving too slow. It's a huge, huge, enlightening, eye-opening experience of what, of what poverty is really like. Yeah, how does that? I mean, just out of curiosity, I mean, to go from the U.S. to you know that I guess village in Zulu, you said, how long does that take? Is that like a thirty-hour trip? Um, man, it takes forever. Yeah, I mean, you you know, we broke it up. You have to fly basically from so I'm in L.A. and you fly either through New York and down to Johannesburg, or you fly from L.A. to London and down to Johannesburg. So we flew from L.A. to London, stayed in London a couple of days to sort of acclimate in because I love London. And then flew from London to Johannesburg, which is basically directly south. And I think it's like a one-hour time change. But then from Johannesburg, you have to fly, you know, take a two or three-hour flight out to the middle of nowhere and then get in a car and drive for three or four hours further out into the middle of nowhere. So it, it's certainly a, a bit of a track, but... Crazy. I, I think uh, people in the audience, uh, feel free to email Adam for, for travel advice. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. What's one piece of advice you'd give to your 25-year-old self? Uh, write in a journal. Start writing in a journal. There, there is a ton of information and memories and things that looking back at would be hugely valuable to understand my mindset at that given time. And I didn't start writing in a journal actively until about three years ago. And that, that's a huge regret that I didn't do that earlier. Okay. And are you free journaling? Are you using like a tool like a five-minute journal? I have used um, a couple of different sort of tool type journals. And I found myself really just kind of free writing in those tool journals. So, so, I mean, I have a little bit of a process that I do now, but, but I, I'm not, you know, I'm not really following an instruction, so to speak. Yeah. You, you know, I, I've started, I started using the five minute journal, I think two, three years ago. And, you know, I do find myself wanting to just like unload on it, but even having that, I mean, has been a game changer. Just the, the whole concept of, you know, being grateful is like, who would have thought that, you know, this, the, the rah, rah stuff actually does make a major impact, but it, it actually does. Right. Oh, you're 100% right. I mean, that's even writing, you know, in freehand, that's what I do. I, I write two pages. The first page is something that I'm thankful for, which after three years, you think, you know, it's actually kind of hard. Like, I can't be any more thankful for my dog or for my parents or for, you know, or for whatever. 
Um, but just putting something like that in writing sets the tone of my day. Um, and I notice a difference when I don't do it. Like, you know, if we're traveling or I just forget to do it or it's not, you know, I, I do it five or six days a week. So there's one or two days that I don't, and it does have an impact to me. It's crazy. You're hundred percent right. Totally agree. And, and it doesn't have to be, you don't have to think about it a long time. Right. I mean, I mean, for me, I'm looking at my journal right now, you know, one, one thing I'm grateful for, well, you know what it says, toilet paper. So it doesn't have Perfect. to be something crazy. Yeah, no, exactly. Like, <laughs> again, you know, go and spend a day in Zulu Village, Africa, and you'll you'll have a great appreciation for toilet paper. <laughs> great. All right. <laughs> I want to talk about, um, let's go back to your team a little bit. So what's one big change you've made in the last year that's impacted your business in a big way? I've outsourced. So the means of which that we have been able to continue to grow is by, uh, one of the main things is by me not controlling everything. So giving up responsibilities. And I've done that you know, how we've been able to do that without hiring people is by hiring companies and entities that have a, an expertise in that given space. So for example, Facebook, I don't do, I don't manage our Facebook ads anymore. I, I turn it over to a company that has an expertise and all they do is just Facebook. They're really, really good at Facebook ads, at advertising. They're not also doing Pinterest and also doing AdWords and spreading themselves across all these platforms. They just do Facebook. Um, so I turned that over in June, uh, or I guess May was the last month that I was managing it, but that freed up a tremendous amount of my time to go do other things and has been very effective. So there's a number of those types of things that I've, I've given up. Smart. Sounds like delegating and just, you know, being able to trust other people and also making sure they specialize too. I, I know a lot of people tend to go to, you know, I want to work with a quote unquote full service digital marketing agency. I think you look for the specialist and you've only picked the best and that's worked out really well for you. That's awesome. Okay. Now, in terms of team organization, I know you don't you don't have like a big team. Uh, how's the team organized, first of all? And then what critical tools do you use every day to get by? And it can be like a top two or three. Yeah. So, I mean, if you look at, at the team between my partner and I, um, Matt, our responsibility, you know, there's a very, very defined line between what's part of his responsibility set and what's part of my responsibility set with. And it works really, really well because our brains work differently, which is also pretty important. He's responsible for all the back end of the business, the inventory, the manufacturing, the financials, you know, dealing with accountants, doing all of that stuff. I'm responsible for all the front end stuff. So the technology, the customer acquisition, the voice and brand of the company, you know, email flows, I oversee all of that stuff. Um, we're collaborative on everything. And that's really, really important because again, our brains work differently. So his perspective on how something might work in mine are often not the same, and that's important. But we we do have you know a pretty defined line of who's responsible for what. Now, looking at the rest of the team, like we have virtual assistants, you know that execute support tickets and things like that. And I treat I mean I treat everybody at the individual companies that are performing tasks for us like they are part of the team, part of the company, because I want them. I mean, realistically, I want them to feel like they're part of the team and part of the company, and and they're and because they're such an integral part of the sort of functioning of the whole platform. Got it. Okay. And how about tools? Uh, Slack, because of that, Slack is hugely important. I use Slack a lot. Um, Zendesk is uh, the uh, software we use to operate our support system, uh, which is an amazing tool that, I mean, we can, you know, our, the, the team that we have, the VA team we have and that support executes those support tickets can hammer through hundreds of tickets per day and there's three of them, and I get questions on maybe two of them per day, which is amazing. Awesome. Okay, great. So we got Zendesk, we got Slack. Awesome. Market highly recommend both of those tools. Final question here: What's one must-read book you'd recommend to everyone? 
totally cheesy. You've probably heard it a million times, but how to win friends and influence people. Yeah, believe it's, it or not. I mean, th- that actually hasn't been recommended what, uh, a uh, lot. But yeah, I mean, yeah, go, go ahead. Sorry, I interrupted. Yeah, no, it, it's, it's, a, it's a book written by Dale Carnegie back in like, you know, the late 1800s on leadership. And it holds absolutely true to every interaction you have in your life. And, you know, the, this concept of leadership, you know, getting, I guess, I'll paraphrase Dwight Eisenhower, and that leadership is getting somebody to do something that you want them to do by getting them to want to do it. So you are in, we're all in, in experiences every single day where you're dealing with people where you're trying to get them to do something, but you need to get them to do it because they want to do it, not just because you're forcing them to do it. Whether it's at home, whether it's at the gym, whether it's driving in your car, whether, you know, there's all these other places outside of a physical office. And how to win friends and influence people is basically the template for how to get people to do those things by getting them to want to do it. Yeah, great book. It's a classic. I think it's something that we read every single year. It's, it's, it's you know, it's that evergreen. Um, but Adam, this has been fantastic. What's the best way for people to find you online? Gosh, that's a good question. Because I don't spend a ton of time on Twitter. All of my Instagram and uh, Facebook accounts are done through Bottlekeeper. Um, how about just email me, adam at bottlekeeper.com. There you go. That works. That works perfectly. Everyone, make sure you check out Bottlekeeper. The fact that Adam's built such a big business with really two, two full-time people is incredible. Um, Adam, thanks so much for doing this. Hey, thanks a ton, Eric. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Everywhere. If you loved what you heard, be sure to head back to growtheverywhere.com for today's show notes and a ton of additional resources. But before you go, hit the subscribe button to avoid missing out on next week's value-packed interview. Enjoy the rest of your week and remember to take action and continue growing.